Everything is real. I'm Natalie D. I'm Drew Toothpaste. And today we're going to talk about how Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons opened an alien portal. Well, it sounds good. What's the catch? <laughs> I mean, there is no catch. It's just all great stuff with the portal. I will say, this episode is a bit peanut butter in my chocolate. So, I'm into it. This is going to be great. It's like... <laughs> So, this is some of the most wackadoo shit in the world. <laughs> so kick things off, Natalie. Tell me who is Aleister Crowley. Okay. Aleister Crowley was an English occultist, a ceremonial magician. He had some books of poetry. He was a painter, a novelist. He was briefly a mountaineer. Okay. In other words, he was a rich guy. <laughs> right. He was, he was a bougie rich guy. Um, he was the founder of a religion called Thelema. And he also was a self-styled prophet who believed that he was guiding humanity into the eon of Horus in the early 20th century, which is kind of similar in vibe to like the age of Aquarius, like that kind of stuff the hippies talk about, right? Yeah, so he thought that he was gonna open everybody's eyes and we were gonna have a new mystical world, or at least that's what he was saying. An enlightened society that was going to move into the future in like an ideal, human way right the flying car way the way everybody likes the future to go right right like the most like pie in the sky future right robots will do all our work right exactly so that is what he is most known for is the dilemma stuff he was also briefly involved with the hermetic order of the golden dawn before william butler yeats threw him down the stairs <laughs> he was the founder of argentium astrum which is like a mystery school like a western mystery school and at one point he channeled an interdimensional being called Iwas and was instructed to write this book called the Book of the Law which was the basis of Thelema and then that doctrine was adopted by the Ordo Templi Orientis and so he had like a whole bunch of occult shit going on. He was like the granddaddy of occultism, like modern occultism. He had his hands in everything. He kind of tried to work his way up in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn which was an old mystical group and uh, like you said the guy threw him out. He was kind of a creep. He was kind of a bitch yeah <laughs> so he went on to to found his own thing and then people took his stuff and was like "Ooh, i like this i like how this guy fucked everything up so. right <laughs> Right. Uh, Jack Parsons was an American guy who was a rocket engineer and a chemist, and he was a Thelemite. And so he was a follower of this book of the law that Aleister Crowley wrote. Mm -hmm. He worked at Caltech, or he was associated with Caltech, rather. And he was one of the principal founders of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and uh -huh. the Aerojet Engineering Corporation, which were like precursors to NASA. Right. Uh -huh. He also was the inventor of the first rocket engine to use a castable composite rocket propellant. And he engineered the advancement of both liquid fuel and solid fuel rockets. And so he was a so-and-so. He was like a smart guy. He was a scientist and he was like on the leading edge of a lot of technological stuff that was happening in the 1940s. And so when your dad or your grandpa says something like, he's got to be a rocket scientist, he's basically talking about Jack Parson who invented or played a major part in inventing modern rocketry, whether right. you're talking about, you know, the space shuttle or uh, something that has a nuke on the tip. Right, exactly, right. He was, like, very extremely smart, and he was involved in a lot of shit. I think he might have had some military stuff, but, of course, everyone did back 
then, right? It's kind of hard to live during a world war and not get involved in the military in some aspect. Right, sure. right. And so what we are talking about today is the idea that these two individuals at certain points in their lives performed occult rituals that ripped open the fabric of space-time and manifested beings. In the case of Aleister Crowley, he manifested an alien. And in the case of Jack Parsons, he manifested this elemental divine feminine that was Babylon. So where do you start with something like that, <laughs> Natalie? What is, what is page one of the story? <laughs> just like such like high drama like bc andrews bullshittery wrapped up in like such whimsical shit that i can't even stand it it's like so hilarious to me so between january and march of 1918 alistair crowley performed a ritual called the amelantra working which was some kind of sex magic ceremonial magic thing that was intended to invoke intelligences into physical manifestation to like get information from right Okay. And when he did this alamantra working in an apartment in Central Park, he had this being called Lamb that came through to him. And in the writings that he did based on this ritual, he had drawn a picture of what Lamb looked like. And Lamb looked almost exactly like the stereotypical gray alien. And this is really the nut of the issue here, is anybody can be weirdos. Alistair Crowley basically took syncretic Western occultism, which had already been established you know, there was the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and the Golden Bough and all this stuff that existed where people were sort of working in alchemy and ancient mysticism and manifestation. And he basically added jacking off to it. <laughs> so it's kind of like a DSA scenario where it's got all this cool stuff, but then suddenly there's a freak in there jacking off. Right. <laughs> And he's the free. But despite all this, the nut of this situation. I get it. <laughs> the fucking alien that manifested to him. Now, before this, keep in mind, this is 1918. Before this, the little gray alien, you know, when you drive through the desert in Nevada, when you watched, uh, when you watch the X-Files, when you see a video of Skinny Bob, when you see a real grainy footage of what looks like Eisenhower shaking hand with a big bobblehead. Right, right. This classic gray alien did not exist. 1919 was when this was published, when this image was published first time. In what Alistair Crowley drew and described was a slender being. It had a little tiny mouth at the bottom of its head, and its head was shaped like a big guitar pick. Mm -hmm. And very importantly, it did not have the big black sort of diamond shaped eyes that a, that a gray alien would have. It instead had two little tiny beady eyes above its mouth. Uh -huh. And it had like divots in its head above its eyes right. that were almost like the big black eyes of the gray alien. Now, this is important because many people have reported in their encounters with aliens, you know, in the past few decades, that those are commonly thought to be their eyes. They're not, they're something protective. They're protecting the alien's eyes or whatever organs those are that it has there. Right, right. And that those are actually removable, like contact lenses or sunglasses or whatever. And so he may have seen one of these beings without its protective lenses on. Right, right, because he was going through the portal, man. He had the portal open. He was just like bothering him at home. Right. That <laughs> 
<laughs> if you see an alien on Earth, it's got to protect itself because it's hanging out in our weird 3D world. Right. But Aleister Crowley manifested this being, and so he's got some kind of interdimensional portal, wormhole something, and he sees this guy. Right. And this guy reveals himself to Crowley. Uh-huh. And he says, I'm Lamb. Right, right. L-A-M, Lamb. L-A-M. And so... When they're talking about a portal in this context, it is a magically created rent in the fabric of time and space. And so they are saying that they are just ripping into it. So they have used some sort of ritual to engender an effect which some say is quantum, some say is D&D magical. (laughs) Right, right. But whatever effect it has creates an irregularity in space and time. And just like we've talked about manipulating gravity so that you can travel faster than light, something happens so that you are connecting two points in space and time that aren't usually connected. Right, right. And this is also very similar to what we've talked about being a potential mechanism for ghosts, Mm -hmm. whether it's magnetic or it has some wacky gravity effect. You're connecting space and time and perception in a way it's not usually connected. Correct. And an experience like this permeates very many cultures. It permeates, you know, all areas of the world people experience stuff like this. And so the idea of creating a ritual to channel some kind of energy is not as far-fetched as it sounds if you put it that way. Right, right. And even the idea of summoning forth an entity to communicate with is not as far-fetched as it sounds because we've talked before about scrying and how you use like the light and your body's responses to it in order to get your subconscious to fill in details that are obscured from your view. And you interpret the ways that those things are projected right that is what i imagine that this ritual was like i imagine it was a lot of like meditation type behaviors and it was probably a internal dialogue with this creature or it was it was seen in a scrying glass if i if i had to guess sure yeah and so he drew the picture of lamb he considered it to be interdimensional and he said that in his communications with Lamb, there was a lot of symbolism with eggs. Yeah. When he drew the picture of Lamb, there was a caption on the image that said, Lamb is the Tibetan word for way or path, and Lama is he who goeth, the specific title of the gods of Egypt, the treader of the path, in Buddha's phraseology. And it said its numeral value is 71, the number of this book. And that was what he wrote about it. And one of the things about the Thelemites is that they're Kabbalist, so they will be like... In the English Kabbalah, Kanye equals 336, which is also the Kabbalah for the word cringe. <laughs> right, exactly. It, it actually is. I looked that up. Is it really? <laughs> Good for you, baby. I'm not a, I'm not a Kabbalist. <laughs> Did you get my Godwin's and Wikipedia out? <laughs> I would do in some light Googling now. Right. Right, you can get like a good calculator online to do that stuff for you too. It's wacky. It's uh, it's meaningless, but it can be fun. Well, you know, it is meaningless and it is fun, and it is like uh, a good mental exercise to draw comparisons between things that are otherwise unrelated. But one thing I like about that particular practice the most, what I like the most about that practice, is when you see crazy fundamentalist Christians protesting and being like, "Obama equals this string of numbers, which equals six six six, and." abortion equals this which is the number of satan like and so they are out there with their signs doing occult shit like do they realize that that's an occult practice oh i love it (laughs) 
whatever, you know. And so since Crowley summoned Lamb, there have been occult groups and people who have intentionally and successfully contacted Lamb. Like it is a ritual now that some Thelemites will do where they will summon Lamb for themselves. Okay. And the people who do this consider Lamb to be a trans-mundane entity. And they say that it's pretty easy to invoke him if you want to. So if you want to look up Lamb yourself, feel free. Possibly the easiest interdimensional guy to talk to. Yeah, I mean, there's probably easier ones. <laughs> there's a lot of them. <laughs> now, Jack Parsons, on the other hand, had a different kind of experience with his ritual that he did. He was, like we said, the propulsion engineer at the Jet Propulsion Labs. And he performed the Babylon working, which was a sex magic ritual that was similar to the Alamantra working. And it was a ritual that was made to manifest a corporeal incarnation of the archetypal divine feminine, which Thelemites would call Babylon. Okay. And so he wanted to summon this ideal female to be his partner in future workings. Actually, what happened, this is, we're going to get some V.C. Andrews shit. What happened was he had his wife that he was living with, and then he started mixing up with L. Ron Hubbard. Mm-hmm. L. Ron Hubbard, of course, being the father of Scientology. Right. Now, one thing with the dilemma is that people are very, like, freewheeling. Like, polyamory is, like, extremely common with people who are into that kind of stuff. And so when L. Ron Hubbard started hanging around, Jack Parsons' wife started being like, well, I'm gonna go make out with L. Ron Hubbard, man. And he kind of got mad about it. Like, he got annoyed by it. He was like, now my wife's making out this other guy. And they lived in this big commune filled with Thelmites, and his wife ran off with L. Ron Hubbard. And he's like, I need a hot chick to do my magic with. And it's important to note that this is pretty pretty much primarily happening among rich dudes. Right. (laughs) So Jack Parsons, as a consequence of working with all of these, you know, high power technologies, had a lot of money. Right. And he was born rich. He had money from his parents, too. And so he had a mansion in Pasadena. Uh-huh. And this is where all these people were hanging out. Don't think for a minute that it's Anton LaVey's little townhouse in San Francisco. He had a sprawling mansion. It was on 25 acres. And so you've got <laughs> basically a 24-hour orgy right. happening at this mansion. And everybody is all robed out and doing weird occult shit and waving knives around in there. <laughs> Sounds like a sweet gig if you can get it. <laughs> But you're right. So Jack Parsons is there with his wife and then his wife kind of starts going out with Elron. Right, right. And so he enlists Elron to assist him in doing this Babylon working so he can summon Babylon to be his sidekick in his future magical workings since his wife he is he's cheesed off about his wife being with l ron hubbard all the time yeah and so much like the other ritual this ritual would have theoretically opened a portal through which aliens or entities or whatever could travel to present day earth right that was the name of the game so in december of 1945 parsons started doing this ritual that involved him jerking off onto various stuff while listening to certain violin concertos he was just like doing his thing right he had l ron hubbard involved and he was like scrying while parsons was doing the ritual and like giving him a play-by-play and like telling him if it was working or not (laughs) (laughs) 
normal stuff for rich people. This right. Is, this is the kind of shit they do. Right. So he was just jerking off on some tablets, and L. Ron Hubbard was looking into his scrying mirror and looking for signs and visions in the scrying mirror, like, oh, uh, uh, something's happening, right? Yeah. And they ripped the fabric of space and time. <laughs> and a day or so later... Out of nowhere, this woman named Marjorie Cameron showed up at his house. No one knew who this woman was. Mm-hmm. She didn't even know anybody there. She just, like, knocked on the door one day. She didn't know anyone there. They didn't know her. She was fucking hot. She looked like a movie star. And Jack Parsons was like, ta-da! <laughs> and she moved right in. Okay. And they got married, and they were they were together until he died. Wow. So he basically did this incredibly intricate ritual, and Thelemacell Alistair Crowley managed to summon a space alien, and Jack Parsons summoned a beautiful lady to bone down with. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You know, they're both into ice cream. That's not my flavor. But if you're doing apples to apples, I got to give it to Jack Parsons here. I think Jack Parsons really. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a thelemite. I think that it's corny, right? I think the sex magic stuff reads as a little like mad at dad. Like I can have whatever kind of sex I want without having to do it for religion, right? <laughs> yeah, but... I, I think wrapping it up in a in a ritual and telling other people how to have sex and then having it have to be a party where people are jacking off and stuff. It just reads a little like the DSA to me. You know what it is to me is that like, I'm into some occult shit. I'm not gonna lie to you, but it's to me, it always seems a little bit low vibes. Like I'm kind of trying to remove myself from like ego and from like carnal shit, right? And so the idea of just compulsively masturbating whenever I want anything seems like regressive to me. Yeah, I mean, I can go to the zoo if I want to see that. Right, exactly, exactly. I'm trying to have a little bit more control over my me car instead of just letting it leak all over everything. <laughs> it seems like, and I only have a basic knowledge of all this occult stuff, but I, it seems to me that if what you're doing is concentrating and manifesting your energy, you would want to be using different circuits because, you know, just scientifically, this is why they have boobs and beer commercials, because when you start engaging people's libido, you decrease their inhibitions and you encourage them to buy things. It turns off critical parts of their brain. Right. And this is why advertisers engage sexual messaging and sexual images and content. That's why they push this stuff is to try to get your brain to lock onto that signal so you're not thinking about how much money you have and what you should be doing mm -hmm. and everything else. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the sex magic, beyond being corny, it seems to maybe work against what they say they're doing. But... Well I think that part of the sex magic thing is getting into a certain mindset and maybe trying to attain that mindset through touching yourself or having butt sex or whatever. It seems like higher minded to reach the same mental states without having to do that stuff. Having enough control over your mind that you can attain mental stillness without having to nut first. Like I can attain mental stillness without having to nut. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, and if long term, you really want it to be less of a process. Right, exactly. I Hands off, man. I want to be able to do it in the car when I'm in a traffic jam, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so why do people believe this stuff? Why do people believe that they opened up a hole in the space and time? The main argument with the lamb thing is that he looked like a gray alien. Well, and there's another very interesting aspect to this. 
So Lamb is a gray alien, right? And 1918, 1919, we're not seeing a bunch of UFO activity. Mm -hmm, right. Nobody's seeing gray aliens. Nobody's getting abducted. None of this weirdo shit is happening. World War II rolls around. And then 1946, Elrond and Jack Parsons do Babylon working, which is the ritual that reopens the portal. And it brings this woman to Jack Parsons' life. But more importantly, they claim that they reopened and perhaps widened the portal mm -hmm. that brought Lamb through. Right. Now, shortly after this happens, this begins the flap, is what they call it, of UFO sightings across America. There's the battle over LA. There's sightings in the Pacific Northwest. There's the crash at Roswell. Mm -hmm. There's a crash in Texas. This shit just starts popping off, right? Suddenly, UFOs are fucking everywhere. Right. All the fucking time. And we know what the capabilities were of all of the world's armies and air forces during World War II, okay? Mm -hmm. Nobody was flying saucers in World War II. You know, we're talking about luminous orbs. We're talking about vehicles. We're talking about metals in 1947 that involved atomic deposition to create this certain type of metal. Mm -hmm. None of this technology existed. We were still doing Rosie the Riveter, I can do it, Bob the Builder shit, right? Right, right. This happens, and this starts happening immediately after Crowley claims to have opened this fucking portal. Mm -hmm. And it also fits with the American narrative of some rich assholes fucking around, jacking off, and ruining the planet. <laughs> well, that depends on if you think the UFOs are bad or not. <laughs> Interestingly, when Marjorie Cameron showed up at Jack Parsons' house, she was like, I showed up, and everyone there summoned me. I didn't know that they had summoned me. There was no recognition between these people before it happened. But when she showed up at the house, like a day or so after she showed up, she's like, oh, you know what? Before I came over here, I saw a UFO. And so she saw a UFO flying around outside before she went into the house. <laughs> And she was right there in the area. Right. She worked at JPL. She ended up working at JPL. Oh, she probably did, yeah. So she was right there in that area. This is like inland from the San Francisco Bay, right? Right, right. And so also, L. Ron Hubbard claimed to have seen stuff when he was there. He said that there was another magician who was staying at the house and studying with him while he was there during the Babylon working. And he said that they were carrying a candle across the kitchen when this other magician got hit in the shoulder and the candle got knocked out of his hand. And he was like, L. Ron Hubbard! And he ran in to help him and they saw like a yellowish light that was like seven feet tall in the kitchen and he said he waved a magical sword at it and it disappeared which is what you would expect <laughs> he said the other magician was paralyzed for the rest of the night oh man i'll tell you what though if i was an alien and i showed up and some guy whips out a sword i'm like okay what i'm going home yeah i mean he said that there was something in there and he brandished a sword at it which makes me wonder if he just didn't do a banishing ritual on him Maybe he it's did. probably what he did. Maybe he did. That's one of the most common occult rituals you do. That's and like small time, yeah. People do a banishing ritual when they're meditating or they're, you know, doing some other minor ritual to sort of clear the space, right? Right, right. Right. That's exactly it. And so what evidence is there that these stories are true? During the Babylon working, Jack Parsons had a vision that he was going to be consumed by fire. Oh. Then in 1952, which is what, like six years later, he died when his home laboratory blew up. He blew himself up doing rocket stuff in his laboratory. Now, I don't want to get ahead of the story here, but Jack Parsons 
was working on this stuff at home. Mm -hmm. He had a little lab. He was making rocket propellants. He was making oxidizers. He had all this dangerous stuff around, but he had worked with this stuff his whole life. Right, right. It would not be uncommon for somebody who was new at this to injure themselves or to have an accident or to have a fire or something. But it's incredibly suspicious that when he died, his wife was not allowed to see his body. She was not allowed to go in the ambulance and she was not allowed to go to the hospital to look at him. In fact, when they ended up declaring him dead, because supposedly when the police showed up, he was still alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was. Uh, basically, there was an explosion. The cops got called. The cops show up and there's this dude that looks like Gus Fring when his face got blown off and his right arm is completely missing. Right, right. He was just blown to bits. I mean, I think that's honestly probably why he didn't let his wife see him. But some people think that there could have been something else happened, that there was something else that the police ended up covering up or that the police or somebody else wanted to take him out. I think there's a 50-50 shot that, you know, maybe you don't want to let, especially, you know how patriarchal the 50s were, you know, definitely would not want some housewife to see her blowed up husband. Right. Obviously, after the Babylon working, the co-star in the operation, old L. Ron Hubbard, went on to start Scientology. And his work in Scientology talked about alien implants and mantid-like alien entities and all kinds of stuff. And so who knows, maybe he saw some of that stuff when he was hanging out during the Babylon working. Now, first of all, people were not reporting alien abductions before World War II. Right. I don't know whether it's because they weren't happening. I don't know if it's because, you know, it was such a far-fetched, such a strange thing that people would say, oh, I was consumed by the light or something. They would have some old-timey way of saying it that didn't really mean that they were abducted by right, aliens. Right. Or maybe they thought something else was happening. But the idea of alien implants really started coming about, you know, in the 50s, in the 60s, right. when this shit started popping off and you start seeing cats mutilations. Mm -hmm. You start seeing all the classic UFO shit. People getting abducted, losing time, having amnesia, all this. The other thing is that Elron reported seeing mantids. And this is very interesting because all of the people who talk about the different races of UFOs, first of all, like we talked about, especially in the Galactic Federation, mm -hmm. there are several different species of aliens. And, you know, it's very classic crank to say, oh, the Nordic aliens, oh, the gray aliens and the Zeta Reticulans. Right, right. But... Something that people consistently report is that there is a bug-like alien that reminds people of a mantid, a mm -hmm. praying mantis when they see it. Like Zorak. Yeah. <laughs> and so for L. Ron Hubbard to be talking about this before any of these narratives got shaped in the public eye. And keep in mind, in the 50s and 60s, there was no way to talk to other people about getting abducted by an alien. And up until, you know, maybe the 80s, there was like nobody even coalescing around the idea of, of having Fordian experiences and like grouping up to the point where people could admit to each other that this shit was real. Right, right. People would be so ostracized if they talked about any of this stuff happening. And I mean, when most people were kids at this point, it was ludicrous for people to say they saw an alien, they got abducted by right, an alien, right. they had an astral experience, they saw a ghost. All this shit was like, you're stupid, right? As people might say they had seen a ghost. People had seen ghosts in the olden days and people would be like, ooh, it was spooky, right? 
But I think the alien stuff in specific was was really ostracized. The UFO stuff in specific, because there was a government plot to discredit anyone having anything to do with that, those kind of ideas. And on top of it, there just was not very much media about them back then. That's right. So it's very interesting to me that whatever happened with L. Ron Hubbard once he started Scientology, his experiences in this also strangely seemed to echo the same shit that ended up being basically part of alien slash UFO canon. Right. In other words, these collected experiences that have been repeated by people all across the world. Right. In different times, people that shouldn't have this knowledge of, of what's happening. You know, somebody in Cambodia doesn't know what's happening in Iowa and vice versa. And they're reporting seeing the same shit and having right. the same experiences. This is clearly something that is happening because they're not sharing information. Right? Right, right. Now, L. Ron Hubbard, when he came to Jack Parsons' mansion, L. Ron Hubbard was known to be a sketchy dude. Right. He was known to have been a little scammy and kind of make up some shit and weasel his way into situations. Sure, we all know people like that. Right. So, of course, he sees some cool people and he wants to be one of the cool people, so he gets in with this, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact is that he got involved in this dilemma shit and he was opening up the portals and he was doing all this magic. Now, L. Ron Hubbard takes off with Jack Parsons' wife. Right, this is like super high drama. So we talked before about how L. Ron Hubbard came in and snatched up Jack Parsons' wife. Now, first off, Jack Parsons' wife was the very younger sister of Jack Parsons' first wife. <laughs> they were having their freewheeling life and she drifted off and he was like well i guess i'm gonna go out with your sister now and so it was it was shady and it was sketchy right and so l ron hubbard shows up and they decide that they're going to start a money-making venture that was going to be funded by jack parsons because he had a whole bunch of money right uh-huh so they founded a company called Allied Enterprises that Parsons bankrolled with like $20,000 or something like that. And they planned to flip this money by L. Ron Hubbard going to Miami to buy three yachts. And then he was going to sail the yachts through the Panama Canal up back up to California and sell them at a profit. And so that sounded like a great idea, right? So... Since L. Ron Hubbard was such a sketchy dude, what he did instead was he requested permission from the U.S. Navy to sail to China and South and Central America, ostensibly to collect writing material. He's like, I'm going to write a novel and I would like to sail the seas. And the Navy's like, certainly, sir. And so they go to Florida and then they sail away on one of these yachts. And Jack Parsons is left in the lurch, right? It, they took all of his money. L. Ron Hubbard took his wife and... He was just scammed to shit, right? At some point, L. Ron Hubbard called him and said, oh no, the business is still on, blah, 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 right? Like, <laughs> he tried to butter him up and, like, smooth it over, but it was pretty clear what was going on. And he became a laughingstock 
because everyone knew Elrond Hubbard was a scumbag. And Alistair Crowley heard what was going on and he started shit talking Jack Parsons, which was a huge deal. Yeah. When you're like following this guy's religion and he's talking about how you're a mark. And how you're a weak man because you got taken by L. Ron Hubbard. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the best scene, right? So Jack Parsons was like, all right, so this is obviously like a confidence trick, right? So I need to make myself look like I have a spine. And so he flew to Miami and placed an injunction and restraining order on them. And they found that they had purchased the yachts and they had tried to flee in the yachts except they got hit by a storm and had to return to port. If it wasn't for the storm, they wouldn't have got caught and they would have been gone forever. Yeah. And Parsons said that he thought that the storm that brought them back was caused by him doing a banishing ritual like we were talking before. Yeah. I don't think that would happen, but, you know, if you think it was you doing it, then I hope it was, right? (laughs) He said he used a lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram and had an astrological geomantic invocation of Bartzabel, which is a spirit of Mars. And he said that is what did it. And so he took L. Ron Hubbard to court. He got barely any of his money back. He got like 10% of his money back from L. Ron Hubbard. And L. Ron Hubbard went on to marry his wife in a illegal, duplicitous marriage because he was already married to somebody else. Yeah, L- this is... L- <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard was already married and he went ahead and married Jack Parsons' wife. Right. And the key with Jack Parsons' ex-wife, who, by the way, was under 18 when they started this relationship, Jack Parsons was literally going out with a child. Right. And so, yeah, so all this happened and he took L. Ron Hubbard to court. He got a little teeny bit of money back and he was going to try to pursue further action, but his ex-wife who left him for L. Ron Hubbard told him that he needed to ease off otherwise she was going to get him for statutory rape and so he dropped it. And so she goes off with L. Ron Hubbard she writes the bulk of Dianetics right. which is the founding text of Scientology. Right. So Scientology actually in part came from Aleister Crowley and the work at JPL that would become NASA. Right. Right. And we didn't even get into how Aleister Crowley is Barbara Bush's dad. That's another episode. <laughs> but <laughs> And so what this is all leading to is you have to ask the question. So L. Ron Hubbard was participating in these rituals. L. Ron Hubbard learned about all of this magic from, you know, Crowley and Parsons and all these all these other people that were at, you know, these occult rituals and in this scene in Jack Parsons' mansion. And so the question is kind of open. Was L. Ron Hubbard, did he learn this manifestation, these rituals, this magic? Did he use this to further his ends in Scientology? Probably. Yes, he was able to con Jack Parsons, but everybody already knew that L. Ron Hubbard was a con artist. Aleister Crowley was making fun of Jack Parsons and retelling the story to anybody who would listen. Right, right. And so the fact that L. Ron Hubbard went on and in the texts of Scientology, he recounts all of this stuff that turns out to be what modern day ufologists and what scholars of, you know, alien species would say is fairly accurate information. Right, right. And he got this from these rituals that took place in the 40s. Right, and you know, Jack Parsons 
got into Thelema and ceremonial magic because he was a scientist and because he was like a chemist and a jet propulsion guy because he saw in these teachings and in these practices the fact that it all is tied in with quantum mechanics. That is what drew him to it was the connections to quantum mechanics because he's like, oh, it's real. Well, that's, right? <laughs> that's the only reason why I have a fundamental interest in the occult is because when you start talking about intention, you're talking about the observer effect. When you're talking about spooky action at a distance, that's telepathy or telekinesis, and that's quantum entanglement. Right, right. And so you find all of these parallels between this weird, unintuitive way that quantum mechanics works, because it doesn't work like Newtonian physics. It relates apples to apples, like one-to-one -one with all of these occult principles. And so, yeah, waving a knife in the air is really stupid on the surface, but if what you're doing is you are creating an effect in your mind, which works through quantum mechanics, mm -hmm. then it's entirely possible you're creating an effect somewhere else. You know, a thousand years ago, right? Mm -hmm. 1022, the year 1022, you get a coil of copper wire and you pass a current through it. And you say, guess what this does to a knight? And he's like, I don't know. And you get his dagger and his dagger sticks to the coil. He'd be like, that's fucking magic. Right, right. So the occult approaches quantum mechanics and the occult approaches reality in a way that is fully empirical. Right. It is based on observations of cause and effect. You create certain mind states that result in certain effects. Right, and the idea of ritual could also be compared to repeating an experiment and getting the same result. A lot of this stuff is set up so people can write about information and gnosis that they receive or whatever they're working on, right? And then relay to another person the methods that they use to get those results. And then that person could do the same thing and then make notes on what results they get. And so the rituals and stuff involved in these practices are things that have been developed over hundreds and hundreds of years that create certain results. Is the result you communicating with something in another dimension? That is arguable. Is it allowing you to access your own subconscious in order to make changes in your life? Is it interacting with archetypal parts of your brain, which is what Jung thought was going on? Yeah. There is something that happens with it. You would have to be full of yourself to say you know exactly what's going on, but to say nothing is going on would be incorrect. You know, people who study the brain and people who study cognition are starting on a pathway of investigating the idea of whether or not consciousness is primary. And if consciousness is primary, if consciousness is what creates the hologram of our 3D reality, then by directly manipulating your own consciousness, you are thereby directly manipulating reality because reality is just a hologram created by your consciousness. Right, and if consciousness is universal, then by changing your own consciousness and microcosm, you can change the consciousness of the macrocosm. It's exactly it. If you are tied to everything, which you are, just even knowing that there's quantum effects happening in the brain means you are explicitly tied to other quantum entities in the universe. We'll get more into this stuff. We'll get more into this. <laughs>
quantum entanglement implies that you are the same thing as something else. But regardless, if consciousness is primary and you are doing rituals, you are saying words that create a certain state in your consciousness and reality does not exist without you perceiving it, which is one of the conclusions of some of the experiments done by the 2022 Nobel Prize winners. Right. I'm not talking out of my ass. These guys closed some loopholes to quantum experimentation and more or less proved that the reality you experience is fully within your consciousness. Right, right. It does not exist outside of yourself. And this also solves, you know, the old koan, does a tree falling in the forest make a noise? No, it is rendered when you get there. Right. <laughs> That unfortunately turned out to be a solvable problem right. and not... <laughs> right, exactly. So what evidence do we have that this is not true? That this stuff is not true? The first one clearly is that there is no evidence, photographic or otherwise, of aliens or entities traveling to Earth as a result of these rituals. Mm-hmm. Fair That's enough. That's always a sticking point. Right. Additionally, although the consequences of Hubbard's fleeing to Florida and Parsons' death are suspicious, it does not necessarily implicate aliens or paranormal activity, which, fair enough. You could run away for another reason. Right, sure, sure. sure. Mm -hmm. What are your feelings on this? How true do you think this is? Well, before I get into it, we always rank whether or not things are real on a scale of 1 to 10. 1, not real at all. 10, absolutely, completely real. And before I give my score, if you're a member of the Discord, log in, hit the current episode chat, and let us know on a scale of 1 to 10, did Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons open a portal to another realm? One, not at all. Ten, absolutely, I'm sure of it. If you're not a member of the Discord, patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity, that will get you in. Right. I'm going to give this one a four. And the reason why I'm going to give it a four, I think Aleister Crowley was a little too cheesy for my liking. I think Aleister Crowley had his hands in a lot of stuff that was real, but I feel like... He was a little too egoy. He was a little too much about Aleister Crowley, in my opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like his persona and the way he was portrayed in the British press was that he was this maniacal, evil, demon-summoning guy... And he really thrived on that. He liked being the weird, evil guy. He cultivated that persona. L. Ron Hubbard, obviously, is a scam artist, but I think that L. Ron Hubbard fucked around with his magic, and he's like, ooh, this works. Right, right. Whoops. <laughs> Jack Parsons, I find the most sympathetic, although that's not saying much, and the most interesting guy in this scenario. I do think that Jack Parsons probably was able to go about this intelligently and probably had a lot of weird experiences dealing with this. Mm -hmm. I do think that Aleister Crowley may have talked to a non-Earth entity, may have talked to a non human but sapient entity somewhere, right, somehow. Right. I find it incredibly strange that he drew a gray alien before the motherfuckers existed, right? Nobody was drawing little gray aliens, right? Right, right. I think the events surrounding Jack Parsons' Babylon ritual, the lady shows up at the house, incredibly strange. And then after fucking with all of this magic, Jack Parsons ends up just wanting to do his stuff. He ends up just wanting to do his rocket engines and stuff. And L. Ron Hubbard sails off and creates this organization that, like, enslaves people. On boats. On boats. 
after all that yacht shit. And <laughs> and if you if you play with him a little bit and then you leave, they'll just follow you around and torture you. Right. So I do think that L. Ron Hubbard picked up some serious magic shit. However, I find many aspects of the whole scenario to be weird. I think it was too much of a party house situation. And if you've ever lived or been around a punk house, you know things happen. Right, right. <laughs> weird stuff happens. You stay up till four in the morning, you're drinking, you're taking drugs, you might see a yellow light. Right. <laughs> I've had weird stuff happen in a punk house. You will too if you hang out there long right, enough. Right, right, right. So I think there are aspects of this story that are not entirely believable. But I do think enough interesting things happen that it's partially real. Right. I would probably give it a six. Really? I'd probably give it a six because I believe that you can induce mental states that allow you to perceive things that are beyond your normal bounds of perception. I believe that is absolutely possible, and I believe that is an accurate thing to say is possible to happen, right? I think that the Babylon working, it's compelling to me that he did this ritual, and then like a day or two later, not only does this random hot chick show up at this house, and no one knows anybody, she's just like, hey guys, knock knock. <laughs> Not only does this hot chick just randomly show up, she hits it off with the guy well enough that she just moves right in, they get married, and they are married until he dies, right? That's like a bit of a coincidence for me. Like if someone just showed up at my house, what are the chances that I would hit it off with them that much? It's compelling, right? Especially since this guy was a weird beard. And in the 40s, some like lady popping over to some house and she doesn't know anybody and she finds a fucking warlock and she's like, yeah, I'm down with it. <laughs> <laughs> Right? It seems unlikely to me. But do I think that they ripped a hole in space-time that is a standing portal that is just open and there for people to manipulate? I don't believe that because I think that you are the portal. I think that Jack Parsons was the portal and he was perceiving things within himself. I think that Aleister Crowley was the portal and he was perceiving things within himself. And if these two individuals are not perceiving something within their own psyche, there's no way for any of us to access that. You yeah. can do the lamb ritual and see if you can access it within yourself, but you're not going to get it through Aleister Crowley's doorway. You have to do it on your own. That's really the root of occultism. Right. And also, these guys telling everybody everything they do, one of the rules of occultism is to keep silent. And so anybody who is like showing their ass everywhere, I automatically don't trust them that much. Kind of seems like you're doing it to look cool. Right. If you're telling everybody about all the rituals you're doing, you're telling the minutiae of your practice, then you haven't really read enough about occultism because the secretism is the point. In fact, occult means hidden. Right, right. If you have your ass hanging out, it's not a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of which, Natalie, you know, if you're going through the world and you don't have good life insurance, you could say you also have your ass hanging out. Right. Corey Grella could cover your ass. She's the number one insurance agent in Alaska. And if you're worried about what happens after you pass through the portal, give her a call. Right, right. And you know where they have more portals per capita than anywhere else in the country? Uh, it's only got to be Harlem Township. It's here almost all holes. Central Ohio, full of holes to another dimension. Right, right. Whatever dimension you want, you can get there from Harlem Township. It's the most beautiful of the 18 townships in Delaware County, Central Ohio. Harlem Township is where, you're, it's where you got to go. Go get a portal. Thank you to Corey Grella and Harlem Township for sponsoring Garbage Brain University. If you'd like to sponsor Garbage Brain University, hit up patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. Thanks again for listening, and remember, everything is real. I love you. Goodbye.